Good evening and welcome one more time to the University of Spiritual Warfare, Bible Code 7, University where we teach you spiritual warfare. We teach you how to fight using the sword of the spirit, the way warfare should be done. And when you begin to fight with all your might, you don't get sweaty and you don't feel burned out. And let me tell you something, and you'll know the position to fight from. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we have that joy, we're going to fight from a position of strength. We're going to fight with great joy. Now, when we declare the word of God, and we use the what? The commanded word. When we declare it, we're going to do so with glee. We're going to do so with great joy. We're going to do so with great certainty. We're going to do so like the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I run as if I'm running in a race. I run in a straight line. I don't run zigzag. And he says, when I fight, I don't fight as one that beats the air. I don't shadow box. When I do spiritual warfare, I fight knowing that every time I engage in spiritual warfare, I am connecting with my enemies and I am destroying them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Today is February 17th and tonight we're going to get right into fighting with the power of the commanded word. Fighting with the power of the commanded word. What's the commanded word? The commanded word is the word of the living God. The word that he has given us. The Bible calls it the weapons of our warfare. It says that even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. But we utilize mighty weapons through God to pull down fortresses, strongholds, any demonic entity, nothing shall stand before you. Listen to me carefully. I said no demon of hell dares stand before you, block you and hinder you and all that kind of rubbish. No, that's not what my Bible teaches us. And what we do, what we believe, and what we teach in Bible Code 7 is what the Bible says. We teach Bible entitlement. We teach what? Bible provision. The Bible provides us the power, the authority, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the living God, the commanded word of the living God. And that's all we have to fight with. I don't teach you to go uh, get some incense and burn it. Get some candles and burn it. Get some this and potions and lotions. No, no, no. We don't come with that hocus-pocus stuff. We teach you how to wield the real power. You hear what I'm telling you? The real power is the word of the living God. The real power translates to who? Jesus Christ himself. He, was, he is or he was the word that was made flesh dwelt among us. So when we invoke the power of the word, when we declare the commanded word, what are we do, doing? We are declaring Jesus Christ. We are putting him out front. We are giving him all the problems, all the situations that we say, you fix it, Lord. Because after I'm done with the word, <laughs> using the commanded word, and I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm going to bed. I'm not going to carry it. I can't. It's not by my might nor by my power. It's by your spirit. So I'm going to bed and I'm going to rest in you and what you said. Okay? And this is what we teach here. We don't carry stuff. We don't carry burdens. And we don't sweat the details of all that stuff. Well, I wonder if God is doing it. Like uh, planting a seed today and then digging it up tomorrow. Well, did any change happen in the seed? No. Plant the seed, put some water in it, and leave it alone. When it bursts out of the earth, you will see the results. Well, that's what it is with Jesus. And spiritual warfare. We do our warfare every day. We release our word every day. We release the word of God in confidence.
And once we do so, we go to bed. We trust the power of the commanded word because we trust the power of the commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief gave the commanded word. That's Jesus Christ. And when we use his commanded word, we know that it must work. Why? Heaven and earth shall pass, but his word shall not pass away. His word shall not return to him void, wasted, or empty. It will accomplish that which he pleases. It will accomplish that which it declares. So, let's go back in our Bibles. Grab your Bibles, please, and we're going to do some Bible study tonight and go look at the Word. And by the way, if you have somebody talking to you about Bible, and they want to teach you some things, and they don't bring Bible to you, run from them. They must be able to take you in the Bible, line up the Bible and show you the Word, and show you how it connects one word to the other word. So how everything is jiving, how everything is connected, must jive with what the Bible says. All right? Okay. First Kings 17, the commanded word. I want to show you, as we showed you last week, last week we talked about Joshua, and how he used the commanded word, and how powerful the commanded word of Joshua was. So when he did that, he cursed Jericho. And when he cursed Jericho, the curse was so powerful that when he cursed it, he says, curse will be the man who builds this city, Jericho, the town. And it will cost him, when he digs the foundation, the life of his firstborn. And when he lays the gates, or when he sets up the gates, it will cost him his youngest son. Then we saw in 1 Kings 16, Hiel, the Bethelite, came and he decided to rebuild Jericho. And when he digged the foundations and laid out the foundations, his firstborn son died, Abiram. And when he completed the, the, the uh, uh, foundation and he set up the gates of the city, his last son, Segub, died. Why? He lost two sons. Why? Because there was a curse on this place. Joshua spoke the curse. And the curse was the commanded word. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho. Spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. It was a message. It was a commanded word given to Joshua by the living God. Speak this word over this place. That was the commanded word, and he did. So what Joshua spoke, the curse, that wasn't Joshua's words. That was a commanded word from the Lord. God says, my word will not be ineffective. Huh? Even though it's not immediately occurring, my words will not occur ineffective. They will not return to me void. All right, so we saw that when he cursed Jericho, Jericho was so cursed that not only was it just a curse in the foundation and the <coughs> excuse me the foundation of the rebuilding of the city, the ground was cursed, the water was cursed, the atmosphere was cursed, everything about Jericho was cursed because the curse was all inclusive. The entire area air above Jericho was cursed. So we saw in Second Kings 2, the leaders of the town, they visited Elisha. That was, Elijah, that was Elijah's successor. And they said, we have a problem, Lord. My Lord. They told him, this town is located in pleasant surroundings. It looks nice around here, you know. Pleasant, nice climate, as you can see. But the water is bad. It's not potable. Bitter. And the land, land is unproductive. You plant corn, you can't get anything out of it. It won't grow. So what did Elisha do? Verse 20 of 2 Kings 2, he says, Bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring head, the spring that supplied the town with water, and he threw the salt in it. Then he said, This is what the Lord says. This is what? This is what the Lord says. In other words, I'm a messenger. I'm 
speaking what the Lord told me to speak over this springhead. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. That's what the Lord told him. This was a commanded word that he gave Elisha to speak. So here we have two concrete examples of God giving what we call the commanded word. And these prophets of God spoke the commanded word under the anointing of God because they were just messenger boys, okay? Joshua was a messenger boy. Elisha was just another messenger boy. But the commander, who is the living God, gave the command and said, speak this word. This is what the Lord says. I've purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water was remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. And the land, the land became productive. So the water was healed and the land was healed. But the atmosphere was bad. We saw that when Elisha left Jericho and he went up to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Young men from the city came out and they said, Go up, you bald head. Go up, bald head. Bald head, bald head. Go up. They knew the man of God was going up to Bethel, the high place to do what? Sacrifice unto the Lord. So what did they do? They made fun of him or mockery of him. Well, they didn't mock God's prophet. They mocked God. Why did they mock God? Because of the demons around that air, the atmospheric demons. There was a territorial demon of rebellion. The, spirit, the prince of the air, the territorial demon, the demon of rebellion controlling it in, in the air, the atmosphere over that city. And it, it, it grabbed a hold of these boys, 42 of them. And they mocked the man of God, make fun of him when they should never do that. They were taught better, but they were demon-controlled. Go up, Baldy, you bald head, you go up. Not go away, go up. You're going up to the high place to make sacrifice. Go up. And he mocked him. And Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of those young men, 42 of them. All the she-bears had to do, you know, the bear has five claws on one hand. Four long finger there, you got to do right down their back, or right down their side, and ripped every one of them got to rip, maul them. Doesn't mean they died, but meaning they got some rakes on them. Two she bears, mm, my God. So the city, the ground, everything, the rebuilding of it was cursed. Why? Because of the commanded word. But the commanded word cursed the city. And the commanded word lifted the curse. Are you seeing that? I hope you see that. Because this is what it's going to take for us to understand. When we hear from God, we understand that the devil can put curses on things and on people. The Bible calls it, he can put stumbling blocks before you. He can send demons of infirmity to come in your body and harass you. You can take away your peace so the demons can come to what? Oppress you. The demons of hell can rise up against you through your friends, your, fi your family, your wife, your husband, your co-workers, people. Satan can use people to rise up against you. <clears throat> and he can use people to counter you. And he can use people to harass you. What are you going to do? <clears throat> You better learn how to overcome those demons that control these people. Hmm? You better learn how to return fire. Because if you don't, you're in trouble. So when you hear me talk about the scripture, we don't do hocus pocus and we don't do anything. We use the word of the living God. Why? It's the commanded word. And here we gave you proof last week. One word from Joshua cursed Jericho. Not a word 
commanded word from Elisha broke the curse over Jericho. Because the curse, the, the curse came from the commander in chief, cursed Jericho. And the, 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 the word to deliver Jericho from the curse or break the curse over Jericho came from the same commander in chief. Thus saith the Lord. The water shall not kill anybody else. The water is now potable. The land is now fruitful, not barren. So we see now the power of the commanded word. And you have a commanded word right there. The commanded word is no secret. It's not an occult book, hidden secret where you've got to go f try to find it. No, you go to a bookstore and buy a Bible, King James Bible, I, I suggest, okay? You can even download it, but don't download stuff and depend on you because all that's going to be cut out one time. So here we're going to deal with fighting with the power of the commanded word. February 17 today. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Kings 17. There was a famine. The man of God. Oh, here was the man of God, Elisha. The man of God, he called down a famine. He came and he told the king Ahab, he says, unless I say so. For the next three and a half years, no rain. And he walked out. There was a drought. Famine in the land. People died. Babies died. Animals died. People were scrawny. People were malnourished. And he walked out. Three and a half years, no, no rain. Terrible condition. People are dying. So here you have the commanded word from the man of God again. And a drought came. Now God sent him by the brook Cherith. So you got water at the brook? Stay there. You can drink fresh water. I'll send ravens to feed you hamburgers, roast beef, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A raven is a dirty bird. eats carrion, dead, dead flesh. But God made the raven that when he it ate the dead flesh, God touched the dead flesh, and it became nice cooked flesh. Not with blood in there, nice and cooked so when the raven delivered, like Uber delivers, Uber eats, the raven delivered, raven eats. Elijah by the brook was eating hamburgers and roast beef, and he drank the water from the brook. All right, so here you have the brook drying up. God told him, get up and go. I have a woman that I've prepared. is a widow woman, and she's going to sustain you. So go to 1 Kings 17, and let's look at verse 12, and we'll talk about there. 1 Kings 17 and verse 12. He encountered a woman by her house, and what God told him didn't jive with what the woman told him. But the commanded word is the commanded word. So regardless of what the woman is saying, and she should know best, right? No, 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 no. She don't know nothing. She's going to tell it like it is. She's a woman. So she's going to tell it like it is. But it's not what she says, because she doesn't have the final word. The final word is what the commanded word is, what the commander-in-chief says. We've got to understand that we don't go by what people say. We don't go by what politicians say and do. We don't go by what these billionaires say. And do. We don't go by how loud they shout and how high they jump. We go by what the commander-in-chief says right here in the Bible. So let's pick up the story, First Kings 17 at verse 12. He says, may I have a glass of water? She said, no problem, sir. I'll go get your glass of water. As she was going, he says, uh, uh, would you kindly bring me a morsel of bread? There's a problem. That request hit a raw nerve. And now she answers him. She responds to him. But she said, I swear by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only, only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then 
my son and I will eat it and die. Oh, my God. Now, thank God for Elijah. He is calm and cool. He's not like me. First thing I would say, well, my God, why did you send me here to die? This woman ain't got no food. This woman only got a little barrel, a little thing just for a little to, to, to feed herself. The last meal and die. Lord, she's in bad shape. Why, are you sure? Is this the right woman? That's what I would say. And that's what most of you would say. But Elijah, the God's man, he was calm. You see, he had an experience. Or should I say he had experiences, plural, with God. He knew the track record of God. He knew what God could do. And we, he knew that God could not fail. And if God told him to do something, God cannot lie. <laughs> and if God told him, go somewhere, God can't lie. The place that he goes will be the right place. He'll get there at the right time. And what God told him is going to happen will and must happen. It must come to pass. So here, she said, I'm going to eat my last meal. I'm going to cook it for me, my son. It's our last meal. And then death will come. And that, my friends, is telling it like it is. Because that was her real situation. That was a fact. But listen, I've taught you a million times already. Facts on this earth. Oh, I'm sick in my body. Oh, the MRI says this. Oh, the doctor says this. And oh, God. Well, I did everything and they showed me the MRI and they showed me all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Lord says that with his stripes you're healed. The Bible says above everything down here, I want you to what? Prosper and flourish. And I want you to walk in wellness. That's the word. But see, there's a disconnect between us and the word today. Because we know we have doctors and we know we have medication. We know we have everything. So there's something within us that doesn't allow us to kind of hang on the word only. Like the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion said to Jesus, all you need to do, Jesus, is speak the word only. You don't need to come to my house and speak the word. Just say the word right here. Don't come. Don't waste your time. I don't deserve for you to come to my house. Why? Because I am a man under authority. I know what authority is all about. And all it takes is the declaration of the word. The power of the commanded word. You are a commander. I'm a commander also. I am under authority. And I have people under authority that I command and they do what I tell them. But you, Jesus, you're the very commander of life and death. Anything you say, you're the commander of nature. You're the commander of everything in this earth. All you need to do is say it. And if you say it, it's going to get done. But you see, what happens is there is a little disconnect in us as humans because we're so sophisticated and we're so advanced with technology that we don't have the faith to believe like people in those days. They didn't have no TV, no Internet. They didn't have any, uh, you know, modern technologies, medication. So they had to believe. Hmm. And this is our problem today. So the man of God looked and he says, okay, no problem. And he tells her, verse 14, this is what the Lord says. Who's the Lord? The God of Israel. That's who's talking. He's my boss. And he's giving me a word for you. This is what he says. And not only am I going to speak to you, but I'm going to speak to your son. I'm going to speak to the atmosphere around this house. I'm going to speak to the ground, the ceiling, the wood, whatever the materials that make up the house. I'm going to speak to your body. And I'm going to speak also to that little bit of flour you have in that jar. I'm speaking also to the little 
oil you have, I'm speaking to it. This is what the commanded word is. This is what the Lord God, the God of Israel said. This is what the God of all gods, to whom every knee must bow. Everything must shake and quake in obedience to the living God. And he spoke, there will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Did you hear that? This is the message I am speaking to you, madame. I'm speaking to this house, every piece of wood. I'm speaking to the atmosphere. I'm speaking to the ground. I'm speaking to the water. Wherever your well is, I'm speaking to that little meal barrel, flower barrel, wherever you hide it in the house. I'm speaking to that little glass jar or oil. I am speaking to it. Why? Because I've got a message. I've got the commanded word to speak to it. And I declare, thus saith the living God over everything within the sound of my voice, within the hearing of my voice. I declare over you, come into the obedience of the living word of the commander-in-chief. The word supersedes everything. Do you hear that? The word of God supersedes everything. Why? Because God is the final boss. He is the Alpha, and he is the Omega. No one overrides or overrules him. When he speaks, there must be obedience. Everything in nature, everything in the heavens above and the earth beneath, under the oceans, everything obeys Jesus. Whatever Jesus says must come to pass. But here's the story. He gave us free will. We're a free moral agent. And here's the story. Because we have this thing called free will, and we got a mind of our own because he didn't create robots. Hmm? We have the capacity to doubt him. We have the capacity to say, yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord, like you know when the preacher, the preacher, yeah, hallelujah, glory, and we jump up and down and shout, I don't want you sit, uh, jumping up and down and shouting, now sit down, shut up and listen to what the everlasting God says. Let it sink in your brain. Understand, this is no hype. This is no rah-rah cheerleading stuff. This is command authority. This is the word of command issued by the living God. When the Lord God issues his word, everything in nature must obey him. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm looking at my desk. The wood must obey the Lord. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Everything, all the papers, everything obeys the word of the living God. But guess what? If I so choose, I can doubt the word of God. Many a times. Things happen. I got to shake myself. I say, whoa, wait a minute, boy. God said this. It seems far-fetched. It seems way off. But guess what? The Lord said it. And because the Lord said it, it must occur. It must come to pass. So here we have the man of God walking into a situation walking into the widow's house, into her life, into her atmosphere, in a new city, a new town, Zarephat, and taking dominion authority over everything. Everything. By what? The commanded word of the living God. Joshua spoke over Jer uh, Jericho. And when he spoke the word over Jericho, Jericho became exactly what Joshua declared. Anyone who dug the foundation to build that city, your firstborn must die. You lay the gates up, your, first, your last son must die. And that's exactly what transpired. The place was so cursed, the water was bad. The earth was unprofitable. The earth was unproductive. The atmosphere over that place was unproductive. Until... Elisha came 
and reverse the curse by what? The commanded word of the living God. So here we have Elijah going into this widow's territory, region, and taking full authority through what? The commanded word of the living God. I want you to know tonight, right in your house, I sit down, I pray for you. Are you? You're going to make your prayer, you're going to make your declaration. This is what you've got to look at. This is how you've got to see it. You've got to understand command authority. I want you to understand that right where you are in your house, every fiber of my house, the carpet, the tiles, everywhere is blessed, saturated in the blood of Jesus. Every part of it is blessed. Why? Because the word of God saturates and controls every square inch of my property. I don't know about the neighbors, they own that. But for every four corner from the sidewalk coming in is under the command, the jurisdiction of the word of a living God. There are angels watching over our property. And when we go on the street, there are angels watching over our vehicles. You hear what I'm telling you? Why? We understand what command authority is. I'm asked to pray for people near and far, in the country, out of the country, and whenever I pray, do you think I doubt what I'm saying or I doubt the capacity of the word of the living God? Do you think I doubt Jesus and his ability to heal? No, I don't. No, I don't. I absolutely believe what I'm asking him. I make declarations. I make commands. I believe what I'm commanding, and I'm believing what I'm asking. It is up to him to do it. And then now, when Jesus is about to do it, sometimes he wants to do a lot and work a miracle. But as Jesus always said to the people, look at the blind man and say, what do you want me to do for you, blind man? <laughs> well, Jesus, don't you see I'm blind? I want to be healed. I want to see. Well, Jesus don't force himself on you. He asks you, what do you want me to do? Looked at the man at the well, uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Will you be made whole? Hmm? What do you, what do you want? Then he says, okay, I want to be healed. When I'm coming down, I want to get in the water. People jump in the water before me. And I never, I'm up here for all these years, and everybody get in when the water is troubled, and I can't get in. What do you want? I want to be healed. I want to get out of this position. What did Jesus do? Take up your bed and walk. The commanded word, take up your bed and walk. What did he do? Took up his bed and walked. The man at the temple gate, gate beautiful, Paul and Silas. He said, come on, you want an arm to me? I don't have no money. Silver and gold I don't have. Okay? But such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Oh, my God. Snap, crackle, and pop. The commanded word hit him. The man got up. His joints, he has not walked all his life. He was there begging for years. And snap, crackle, pop. All his joints popped. Everything. Then the man got up and he walked. And the Bible says he was jumping and leaping and praising God. He was not only walking, he was leaping in the air. Jumping, leaping, and praising God. Why? The power of the commanded word. Are you seeing what I'm saying? We must not doubt the commanded word. Why? Because all you are is a messenger. All you are is one who declares the word. All you are is one who declares Jesus because he is the word. And that's why he tells us, he says, the battle is not yours. The battle is mine. So all you got to do is declare my word over it. Turn me loose upon it. And let me take over and do what I got to do. Stop trying to go in my shoes and do what I alone can do. 
and stay in your position, stay in your shoes, and do what you are supposed to do. Be the messenger boy. Be the messenger girl. Declare the word of the living God. Agree with the person and shut up. If you don't shut up, just praise me and thank me for it anyway. The Bible says, if my words abide in you, if you abide in me, if you dwell in me, and if, how do you dwell in me, Jesus said? My words must what? Dwell in you. And if you, you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you're entitled to ask for what you will. Then it will be done unto you. So the Lord is very clear about the commanded word. So here, Elijah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And, and this is the happy ending. So she did, as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Now, there's one little piece of the story we didn't bring into play. And that little piece of the story we didn't bring into play because we saw we, we dealt with a commanded word was the commanded obedience. Uh -huh. Before the commanded word can kick in, before the commanded word can take effect, there must be what? Commanded obedience. Did you hear that? You can shout it out, commanded obedience. If you're sitting beside somebody, point your finger and tell them, commanded obedience. Commanded obedience will bring the fulfillment of the commanded word. Elijah had asked this widow woman for a morsel of bread. Would you kindly bring me a little cake? And he asked her, would you bring me that little cake first? Don't go bake one for yourself and your son, and then bring me one after. No, 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 no. Could you kindly bring me a glass of water? She was going to get the water. And would you bring me a morsel of bread or bring me a little cake? And that's where the problem started. So now she responded to Elijah and told her, I don't have any flour. The only flour I have is a little bit to make enough of me and my son. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. He said, never mind. This is what the Lord says. Now, bring me a little cake. Make one for me first. Bring it to me. Then, Go make for you and your son. That's the commanded word. And she did what? She exercised commanded obedience. She what? Exercised commanded obedience. Always remember what the commanded word is that there is a commanded obedience. For you to get the benefits and the blessings of the commanded word, you must get what? Commanded obedience. Because the word... That's how it works. Bring me a cake first, she did. After she went and she made for one for her son, one for her. And then every single day, for the duration of that famine, there was food in that house, miraculously. Why? Commanded obedience. The commanded word. She responded to the commanded word in commanding obedience. It works. Why? The Bible says that what is impossible with man is possible with God. We're not dealing with fairy tales here. Once upon a time, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh -uh. That's not what we're dealing with. And unfortunately in my past, which has been forgiven, but I'm just reminding you about it because I'm just telling somebody now, I used to believe the Bible was a book of fairy tales. That was when I was an atheist and I didn't believe in the Bible and I didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And I read the, read the Bible and it just didn't make no sense to me. 
The only thing that made any kind of sense was Psalm, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, the wisdom books. So here I didn't understand what the commanded word was, so it couldn't make sense to you. And even if some people are Christians, you've been Christians for years, and I deal with them, but I don't put them down. I teach them, and I try to bring them from where they are and bring them where they should be in the Lord. I teach you Bible. I want to see you grow in grace, as the Bible says, and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to see you excel. I want to see you recalibrated. I want to see you regrooved. And I want to see Jesus elevate you and promote you. I don't judge you. I don't want you left where you are. All of my time, all of my ministry is teaching, bringing you the word and elevating you. Why? Because that's what God wants you to know and understand. I don't want to preach you happy and you get happy clappy. You're still down here, and the devil beat your brains out. And I saw that for years. I saw preachers come in, and they preach their heart a, a week of revival, two weeks of revival. I saw up to six weeks of revival already. And I always look, and I said, after a week of revival, the church is revived, and it lasts only about a week, maximum two weeks. Then everybody goes right back to normal. And I used to say, God, what's wrong? You're an awesome God. You're such a great God. What is wrong? Until the Lord showed me something. He says, look at the word, son. There's absolutely, positively nothing wrong with the word because the Bible says heaven and earth shall pass, but my word shall not pass. Not one dot of the I, not one crossing of the T, one tittle shall pass away until all be fulfilled. I said, what's wrong? Something wrong with us. Nothing wrong with the word. So let's look at us. Look at your computer. Do an introspection. And when I started my own personal introspection, I found out I had a lot of junk and rubbish in there. A lot of things that are downloaded in my computer, I heard on television some big-name preacher said, and it was not the word. So I had to go back and reach down in my heart, my computer, psh, jettison that, psh, throw it out, throw this out. And the Lord spoke to me one day, and he says, when you teach my people. Did you hear that? When you teach my people. Show them my word. That day he put the awesome responsibility on me and tell me, they are my people, not yours. You are teaching my people. So what do you ought to do, Norman? Be a messenger boy and show them my word. Take them in the Bible and show them my word. Just like I'm doing here tonight. And I'm telling you tonight, that if you are listening to somebody who's supposed to be a man of God or a woman of God, and they're not talking Bible and teaching you Bible, run from them. Run. Because you won't know if they're telling you error or truth. Run. They must take you in the Bible and bring you verse by verse and show you the scripture exactly where they're teaching from. And when you as, or should I say, when I am teaching or when they are teaching, your spirit will bear witness with their spirit and their teaching truth and that they are men, women of God. I will never, I promise you this, never, because the Lord spoke to me and told me, do not ever teach my people. Bring them into my word. So he always gives me what? A word. And I want to go over to you and give you another word that he tells you. So here was the commanded word. Let's look at another session with the commanded word and what the commanded word does. Because we believe that, well, you know, God can do this, 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 but God can't do certain things. So go to your Bibles and turn again to Ezekiel, the 11th chapter. Ezekiel 11. While you're turning there, we're going to start at verse 1. And then I'm going to 
start telling you a little something. We believe that when we look at what, for example, what's going on in Canada, the government, Trudeau, dictator Trudeau, and all the parliament or the Congress or whatever, they made a law. And they're coming down on the truckers, and they're going to do this, and they're doing that. And all of Canada is running scared. Well, most of them running scared anyway. Because, oh, my God, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Well, I said that, I'll say it again. Canada needs a Bible Code 7 Gandhi-style movement. A revolution, Gandhi-style, nonviolent. Where they go and they sit. I don't know how in heaven's name they can sit out in zero degrees and sit in all that cold weather. Me and cold don't get along too well. But sit out there and instead of singing songs and talking about love and all that kind of rubbish, speak the word. Declare the word. Because when you declare the word, God takes care of tyrants. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And let's see where Ezekiel was commanded to do certain things. Ezekiel 11, please. Judgment on Israel's leaders. Follow the reading very carefully. Ezekiel 11, let's look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord lifted me up and brought me to the east gateway of the Lord's temple, where I saw 25 prominent men of the city, prominent leaders of the city. Among them were Jezaniah, son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Beniah, who were leaders among the people. These were not just 25 ordinary men. These men were leaders. They were representatives of the people, like your state representative or your city councilmen, 25 or your, your county commissioners. These are 25 of them. And Look at what God tells them now. Let's follow what the Word says. The Spirit said to me, Son of man, these are the men who are planning evil and giving wicked counsel in this city. These are the men that are under the jurisdiction of Satan. These are 25 wicked city civic leaders, representatives, commissioners, whatever you want to call it, senators, congressmen. They're wicked and they're evil. They're not godly. Verse 3, they say to the people, is it not a good time to build houses? This city is like an iron pot, pot, and we are safe inside it like meat in a pot. The word of the Lord says, therefore, verse 4, son of man, prophesy against them. Loudly and clearly. The King James said, prophesy against them, son of man, prophesy against them. Says it twice. Prophesy. Don't pray for them. Did you see that? Prophesy against them. And if you look at the KJV, it says it twice. When God says something twice, it means the thing is established and it must come to pass because God is about to do some killing. God is about to do some destruction. God is a good killer, you know. Let me remind you of that. The Bible says he kill it and he make it alive. Uh-huh. The Bible also calls him a man of war. So I love when these jokers go out there and they start to bellow like Goliath. President. Prime ministers. Billionaire. I love when they get out there. I say, look at this. Eh? He's a walking dead. Boasting themselves. Thinking they are something when they're nobody. Just give them time. They're growing and spreading themselves like a green bay tree. But the Bible says, one day I saw them and I looked for him, but they were not. God took him. God killed him. So anytime you look at these people here, and I, have you noticed the age of these people here? Klaus Schwab, Jacob Rothschild, all these men, they're old. They're in their 80s. Bill Gates is what, 60-odd, 70-odd? Prince Charles, same age? Huh? President, look at the president. Look at the prime minister. Look at how old they are. They're all old. And what are they doing? Defying Jesus. Do you hear what I'm telling you? But Jesus said, leave him alone. 
You prophesy what I tell you. You prophesy my word. I'll take care of them because, you see, they are there just like Pharaoh to do their part and fulfill the word of the living God. God says, I'm going to get the glory from their lives. So he says, prophesy against them. Look at verse 5. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he told me to say. He told me to say. He gave me the commanded word. And he said, this is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. So God told this prophet, son of man, speak what I tell you. Just like he told Joshua, speak what I tell you. Just like he told Elisha, speak what I tell you. Thus saith the Lord. And what thus saith the Lord is, that's the commanded word. Elijah, when he approached the widow woman, he said, thus saith the Lord. That's the commanded word. And I know it looks so simple. I know it looks too easy. And we try to make mountains out of molehills. We try to make something out of something because that's how our human nature is. And he goes on and tells him what to say. Verse 7, it says, goes on, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This city is an iron pot, all right, but the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. The people are the victims of your injustice, your wickedness. This is what we're going to tell our civic leaders, congressmen, senators. We're going to prophesy against them. You're wicked and you're evil. You make secret deals in the back room. You have no regard for Jesus. You have no regard for justice. You deal on injustices. You are wicked. You're evil. What you do in the back and what you do in the dark, Jesus knows. And he is going to rain down wrath and fire and brimstone on you. Then he goes on and he told him all the stuff that he should say. And let's look at verse 13. Ezekiel 11. It says, while I was still prophesying against them. Look at the results. Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, suddenly died. Woo! Why did he suddenly die? Did he have cancer? Oh, was he going through some radiation or chemotherapy? He just suddenly died? Yes. God killed him. You know why God killed him? Because he was one of the chief ringleaders. God said, if I can kill this boy, the other 24 will step in line. And if the other 24 don't step in line, I'll kill another one. Oh, hallelujah. I just love it. Take him out, Jesus. We get a little kick, you know, with Minister Tamara when she's coming and we're praying for her against the traffickers, the, 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 the traffickers that traffic the little girls and boys. And when we are praying against them, prophesying against them, we get a little kick, you know. We do it with glee because we foresee the Lord doing it. Wickedness and evil. And all that money going up to the big boys because it goes up the line. Police officers, people in the court system, big money. I've told you several times that slavery is the single most profitable business on the face of the earth. That's what made America great. That's what made England great. Spain, Portugal, all those countries who had colonial powers. They enslaved people. That's what made Pharaoh great. Slavery. Most profitable. When you study your Bible under Joseph, the people became slaves. They sold their cattle, everything, houses, land, before what? Food. And they're going to do it again. They're going to break this world down where they have nothing. And they're going to be hungry people. And the people are going to say, I beg you, spare my life. I'll work for food. And these wicked people are going to say, okay. That's why Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum says, by the year 2030, you will own nothing, but you'll be happy. Why? How come? You won't have a house. Oh, I love my house. And I know you love your house too. That's how it should be. But they'll say you're not going to own nothing. 
Well, you'll be happy. You'll be living somewhere and you'll be commanded and told what to do. You'll have a microchip in your brain. Not me. That's why I'm teaching, not God's people. We are going to stay pure blood, pure bread, pure blood till Jesus returns, just like Noah and his family. Our genealogy will be unchanged because we're not going to mess up our DNA with no mRNA stuff. Do you hear what I'm telling you? So, while he was prophesying against them, 25 of them, Pelatiah, one of the ringleaders, died. Then I fell face down on the ground and cried, Oh, sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone in Israel? He thought everybody was going to die now. He was so frightened. Why? Because God was such an efficient killer. While he was prophesying, God took out Pelatiah. That's our God. And you know, we don't believe, we read the word, but you know something, there's a blockage, there's a hindrance to our faith. And I want you to turn to Second Kings 5 as we complete and conclude this message. Because Bible Code 7 teaches you all these things and gives you the scripture, gives you the understanding, so it eliminates the doubts, the fears, the unbelief from your heart. Okay, you see, we have some self-concepts and we have some misconceptions. Turn to Second Kings, the fifth chapter. Let's look at verse 10. There's a man named Naaman. He was a leper. He was a general from Syria. And he came to see Elisha, the prophet. Verse 10. Let me make it short. Second Kings 5, verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger unto Naaman, saying, Go and wash in Jordan river seven times and your flesh shall come again to you and you shall be clean. You hear that? When he heard that, when he got that message, Naaman became angry and he stalked away. I thought the man, did you hear that? I thought, I thought. You see, he had his concept. He had his way of thinking. I thought this is the way it should be done. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I thought he would come and say, oh, Naaman, the mighty general. You're looking good today. I admire your three-piece suit. You are so Handsome, look at your entourage. You must be a man of great authority. And compliment him and talk all kind of stuff. I thought he'd certainly come out and meet me. I'm a dignitary. Do you know that I'm an official? In my country, they call me uh, Honorable so-and-so, Honorable Naaman. Or they call me... Your Excellency, Naaman, I thought they'd come out to meet me. And this man didn't come out. He insulted me. That's not diplomacy. That's not protocol. This is what he said. I expected him. Did you hear that? I thought. I expected. I expected him to come out and wave his hand over the, the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord his God and heal me. I thought, and I expected. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's our problem, our misconception. We're pushing God and bringing God down to our expectation. No, we have to lift ourselves up because the word says, lift up our expectation to match the word. I don't look at what God is expected to do in our thinking and our expectation. God will not come down to your standard, buddy. I expected him to come and wave his hand over the leprosy, call in the name of the Lord his God, and heal me. Well, he's going to tell me, dip in the river Jordan. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farfar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Pride. 
Uh, the dirty, stinking, muddy Jordan. I cannot be, uh, go beneath my dignity and dip in that stinking, dirty river. It's muddy. Why shouldn't I wash in my own rivers and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage, the Bible says. He was ballistic. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? <laughs> if the prophet had given you some kind of stuff and told you go burn some candles and burn some incense and put some lotion on your body, go get some cow dung and rub all over your body, I got some animal dung and put out. You would have done it, buddy. So you should what? Shut up and certainly obey the man of God when he says simply go and wash and be cured. Good sense prevailed. So Naaman went down to the river, the Jordan River, and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, as the commanded word came to him. He acted reluctantly out of what? Commanded obedience. And the B clause, the final clause, is, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Do you hear that? End of story. It's not what you think. It's not what you expect according to your expectation. Now, listen carefully. If your expectation doesn't line up with what God is about to do, it's not going to work because you have a concept about how it should work, the mechanics of how, how it should go down. God says, no. You want healing. Your expectation is to be healed. Don't try to figure out how God is going to do it. Don't figure the mechanics out. Well, God, I want that. No, 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 no. Leave it to the Lord. Let your expectation hinge upon the commanded obedience. And when you do the commanded obedience, the commanded word will bring about what you expect, your desires. So don't go putting your interjecting yourself. And this is what I want to uh, let you know. Uh, as Naaman did, he interjected him own, his own self and his own ideas and his own thoughts and his own expectation of how it should go into what God is doing. It can't work. We are to allow God to be God and we are to be ourselves and be obedient to the commanded word. And when we do so, like the widow woman, the widow of Zarephath, everything worked out fine. They received their miracles. This is how it's always been. Bowing, yielding, obeying the commanded word from the commander-in-chief. Your commander-in-chief is not your doctor. Did you hear me? I said... No matter how great your doctor is, might be a nice man or a nice woman, but you're, you're not your commander-in-chief. Your commander-in-chief is Jesus Christ. He has the first word, and he has the last word. And as long as we keep our faith and our focus upon him, all will be well with you. You will walk in peace. You will walk in prosperity. You will walk in wellness. Now I urge you tonight... Get my book and start studying the strategy. Escaping the New World Order, One World Babylon through Bible Code 7. When you have an understanding of strategy, and when you see Scripture, and you go through Scripture, and you look at the commanded word, and you see Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, it builds your faith. And it builds you and lets you know that because of... And, and, and I'm telling you and I'm giving you this from my personal experience because you see I used to listen to what people said well you know this guy's on television 
It's a big time, and he has a lot of people. I think he's been on television in that, on a Sunday evening in that spot for a long time. And he knows, and he sells videos, and he sells DVDs and CDs and cassette tapes and all that. And he's got a large ministry. His ministry is at 10,000 and 20,000. So he should know, right? Wrong. It's not Jesus Christ. Jesus had to take me and take me back to the word, the commanded word. He says, son, put your faith in the commanded word. Don't put your faith in man. And when men teach you the word, and they bring you and you can see the word, let it lock in. But don't just listen to people. Be like the Bereans. You hear something, get to your Bible and check it to see if it's the way they say it is. So tonight I want to encourage you bring you to the commanded word of the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. And when you see that the word comes from him, put yourself in obedience to that word. And it might not work one time. You pray one time or you release the word one time and it don't work. You know, you keep releasing it. You see, sometimes we've got to learn how to go seven times, just like Naaman. Keep releasing the word. Why? The word works. This is what I want to share with you tonight. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace both now until Jesus returns. And by the way, before we leave, I just saw a foot going into a sandal. Now, the Bible says we must have our feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. It's like putting on boots. The Bible says in, uh, I think it's um, uh, Numbers of Deuteronomy, it says we shall trample our enemies with boots of iron and shoes of bronze. Boots and shoes. You can't do no trampling in sandals. So you've got to put some boots on. You've got to get some word. And this is the reason why Bible Code 7 tells us we've got to declare the word. Got to declare it minimum seven times a day. The word, the declaration of the word. Have your feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. Your feet must be in boots firmly anchored with the word of the living God. And if you have shoes, they must be of brass so you can trample the enemy. Well, you can't trample the enemy in sandals. So, let's get the word under our belt, okay? God bless you. Have yourself a fabulous and outstanding night. God bless.